After last week's episode that featured a few game reviews, we are literally back to business because we are discussing the Microsoft acquisition of Bethesda being finalized this week, along with some words that Phil Spencer had to say now that the deal is official. And after that, we are slowly making our way through all of the earnings reports from the previous quarter, and this week, we're going to take a closer look at the Q4 of Activision Blizzard, take a look at some of the quarter's numbers, plus their forecast ahead, this week on the Video Games Podcast. Back in September of 2020, Microsoft dropped a $7.5 billion bombshell on the gaming landscape with the acquisition of ZeniMax Media, which included Bethesda among many other great gaming studios like id, Arcane, Machine Games, and Tango Gameworks. And all of these newly acquired studios bring Microsoft's first-party studios to 23, almost doubling their internal studios and their ability to produce potential Microsoft exclusives. What exactly will happen with exclusivity is what most people are wondering. In comparison, Sony has 13 first-party studios, and although there is more of an established track record with studios like Sony Santa Monica, Gorilla, Insomniac, and Naughty Dog, there is something to be said about 23 studios with the budget and long-term expertise in the tech field with Microsoft. And if the argument for PlayStation has always been that they have the exclusives, then this move easily puts Microsoft on the same playing field, if not ahead. What Microsoft does with these studios and franchises, not only from the recent ZeniMax acquisition, but from before, will be interesting to watch moving forward. How much can be gained from viewing how Microsoft treated Mojang Studios when it acquired them back in 2014 for $2.5 billion? Microsoft could have easily turned Minecraft and any future releases from the studio into exclusives, but the company understood just how much money it would be leaving on the table. And they have to be looking at that data since 2014 to see how profitable Minecraft has been on all other platforms to give them an idea of how to proceed with this. Obviously, Microsoft's play here is to grow Game Pass to the size where it becomes too big to fail and they are definitely on their way. With over hundreds of games already and the recent addition of EA, as well as the new additions from Bethesda Studios, Game Pass will soon be in the same category as Netflix where even though you might not find value from it every month, you won't cancel it and you're still going to find something to play. At the most recent Microsoft earnings call near the end of January, it was revealed that Game Pass currently has over 18 million subscribers, which is up from 15 million from their September report, which is up from 10 million from its April report. Game Pass launched in 2017, and this shows great growth for the service. Game Pass feels like a domino effect with the more users, the more Xbox is going to have the ability to bolster the offerings on the service, and this cycle will continually repeat itself. As someone who follows publicly traded gaming companies and reads earnings reports to see how the company and specifically hardware and software are performing, it's nice that ZeniMax is now part of Microsoft who is a publicly traded company and this will mean that we will now have more data regarding the studios that are under the ZeniMax umbrella, well technically the Microsoft umbrella now, albeit Microsoft has been pretty vague on their specific data since the early days of the Xbox One generation when sharing specific data on a losing console became detrimental to the company. Instead, 
Microsoft now focuses on a more macro-level detail, including Game Pass subscriptions. On the Xbox Wire, Phil Spencer, head of Xbox and the man who has seemingly been behind the turnaround since taking over, had some things to say on the matter of the ZeniMax deal finalizing. A few of the statements that Phil said that are noteworthy of mentioning include, with the addition of Bethesda creative teams, gamers should now know that Xbox consoles, PC and Game Pass will be the best place to experience new Bethesda games, including some new titles in the future that will be exclusive to Xbox and PC players. It seems that there are just some titles that are too big to be Xbox exclusive from this list. The way I see the deal going based on what Phil Spencer said in the Xbox Wire post plus how he was talking at the Xbox Bethesda roundtable that happened this week is that these games will be Xbox exclusive and titles that release on other platforms will be the exception and not the rule. With over 115 million PS4 sold and PS5 off to a faster start, I don't think it would make sense to leave that money on the table, but then again, we don't understand what Microsoft is willing to pay to make Game Pass as big as they want it to be. Before moving ahead, you might be thinking that Netflix is too big and that there is no way that Xbox Game Pass can ever get that large. Remember that just 20 years ago, Netflix had only 400,000 subscribers. And that was back when it was mail only. Fast forward to when the service was almost exclusively streaming. And that was in 2010. And guess how many subscribers Netflix had? 18 million. At their last earnings report, Netflix announced that they have more than 203 million users. In just one generation with the right moves, Microsoft can turn Xbox Game Pass into a service of monolithic proportions. In 2020, Netflix generated $24.99 billion in sales, which could certainly be a glimpse into what Microsoft is willing to do to get there. Even just last summer, head of Xbox marketing Aaron Greenberg said in an interview with What's Good Games that uh, Xbox Game Pass is not a big profit play, but ultimately will pay dividends down the road if everything goes to plan. And so far, the plan looks like it's moving right along. If you extrapolate the business model roughly from Netflix to Game Pass and you assume that they can get to 200 million users in about 10 years based on Xbox, PC, and xCloud, then rough calculations of monthly fees plus small increases similar to how Netflix has done, and in 10 years the price of Game Pass could be around $20 a month. With 200 million subs at $20 a month, that works out to around $50 billion of revenue annually just from Game Pass. And during the last quarter of financials that Microsoft reported, the company brought in $48 billion of revenue. And when you see that Game Pass has the potential to account for 20 to 25% of Microsoft's total annual revenue, I would say that nothing is off limits in terms of what it will take to make Game Pass succeed. At the beginning of February, Activision Blizzard reported their Q4 earnings for fiscal year 2020, and most gaming companies followed the traditional fiscal calendar of year-ending March 31st, but Activision Blizzard is one of the few who end their fiscal year on December 31st. And as for the annual report, that should be expected sooner than later, as they have all the information that they need. It's just about putting the report together, which won't be an easy task, as the 2019 annual report was around 150 pages. Activision Blizzard lacked quantity for major releases in 2020, with the exception of Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, 
which turns out might be all that is required as without fail this series continued to dominate. World of Warcraft has also seen great engagement since the Shadowlands expansion and their King Mobile sector is a consistent performer. And over the course of the year, Activision Blizzard saw revenues go 25% up, operating income increased 70%, and earnings per share increased 45%. Looking into some hard figures, the fourth quarter revenue was $2.4 billion, which was well above the projected $2 billion and brought the fiscal year to $8.08 billion, which was also well above the projections of $7.675 billion. Clearly, Activision Blizzard has been benefiting from all of the gamers staying at home and being invested into their live service franchises with over $4.8 billion of in-game purchases, which include downloadable content and microtransactions. In 2020, over 250 million people were playing Call of Duty, which is more than tripling the amount that were playing Call of Duty just a few years ago in 2019. It's easy for the media to focus on the negative, but one aspect of the earnings call that I was unaware of, and likely I think most people are unaware of, is that Activision Blizzard has a program called the Call of Duty Endowment. And this program is designed to place actual military veterans into high-quality jobs within their company, as well as thousands of other employers. And in 2020, the program was able to place 15,000 veterans into jobs. Not only was this the program's most successful year, but to be able to find that many job placements during the pandemic when unemployment was skyrocketing is something to be proud of. This program has actually been around since 2009 and has helped over 81,000 veterans find jobs. This just seemed like something positive worth noting. Following up on 2020, which saw most gaming companies produce astronomical results due to the majority of people staying indoors safely, Activision Blizzard is projecting even higher numbers for 2021. Overall, in 2020, net revenue was $8.08 billion and the projections for the year ahead are $8.225 billion. Since Activision Blizzard reporting their earnings call at the beginning of February, BlizzCon has happened virtually, and this is part of the reason why those projections are higher than 2020 which we will get into, but it also has to assume that they expect that even the vaccine gets rolled out in an efficient manner, that many people will not have a rush to get back outdoors and will continue to game indoors. With Activision titles, specifically Call of Duty, accounting for nearly 60% of the total net revenue in Q4 and approximately 50% of the total revenue for the whole fiscal year, there is only so much that Blizzard releases can do, and this means that Call of Duty will need to release another blockbuster hit, which can be done, but it also means that Warzone needs to continue to engage its current audience. Even though both of these tasks seem very simple, there is no guarantee that Call of Duty can repeat its annual success, because in 2020, they were basically the only premium shooter that was released in the fall. We already know that EA is moving all eggs into the Battlefield basket, with news coming last week that they are moving Criterion from Need for Speed onto Battlefield to make sure that it ships on time and in the condition that they need. It will have been three years since Battlefield released a new entry and people are hungry for change. There is a very large opportunity for Battlefield to seize a lot of the shooter market this fall. The other big shooter that is due out this fall is Halo Infinite, and we have seen this before when too many shooters are released at the same time, there will be losers. Back when Titanfall 2 was released near Battlefield and Call of Duty, the best game out of that group performed the worst commercially. 
The other issue that faces Call of Duty is that Warzone also hasn't faced a lot of new competition. There was already plenty of competition on the market when Warzone launched in March of 2020, but since then there has been little in the way to steal some of that audience away. The previously mentioned Halo Infinite and Battlefield 6 both reportedly have Battle Royale type modes in development. Then there is any other game that could release and become the next PUBG or Fortnite that we don't even know about. Most gamers would agree that the state of cheating in Warzone combined with the next to minimal improvements of the game and the map are leaving the door wide open for a strong competitor. Finally, Sledgehammer was supposed to be the team that released their Call of Duty entry in 2020, but clearly it wasn't coming along as expected as Treyarch was forced to push up the date of their game and launch a year earlier than expected. If problems were bad enough to push the game for a year, will Sledgehammer have enough fresh ideas to rival games like Halo Infinite and Battlefield 6 that have been in development for a lot longer? It's also worth mentioning that the last game that Sledgehammer shipped was Call of Duty World War II and that was back in 2017 when founders Glenn Schofield and Michael Condry were both still at the studio. Both of these industry veterans have now moved on to head their own studios elsewhere. As mentioned, the potential drop in sales for the Call of Duty franchise will likely be offset by some of the Blizzard announcements that were made at BlizzCon, mainly in the Diablo realm. Diablo 2 Resurrected is the Diablo 2 remake that will be releasing later this year, and based on what they showed, they are taking lessons learned from some of their previous remakes and remasters and delivering a remake that stays true to the original. Diablo 2 is the popular choice for many as the best entry in the series so far, and people that might have been too young to play it the first time around will now have a chance to give it a try, as many others who'd love to dive back in. More Diablo 4 was also shown at BlizzCon Online, but there is no chance that that highly anticipated sequel releases this year. 2022 would be nice, but it wouldn't be surprising if it didn't come out until 2023 either. The other Diablo project that has a chance to release this year is the initially hated mobile game Diablo Immortal. There have been closed alphas that have garnered a mostly positive reaction from the many outlets that have got a chance to play the game already. And obviously, the mobile market is potentially huge and Diablo would likely thrive on phones. Leaning into saying Diablo 4 being released in 2022 based on the comments from CEO Bobby Kotick when referring to the whole Activision Blizzard portfolio. And he said, 2022 should see even more significant growth given our planned release of new content across multiple platforms. And currently... The only title that has a release date in 2022 is Overwatch 2, and I don't expect that series alone to cause significant growth. This likely has to be referring to Diablo 4 as well as Overwatch 2 and possibly other unannounced titles. Both of these new Diablo games will likely perform very well for Blizzard and will help generate goodwill and anticipation heading into Diablo 4. Moving forward, Activision Blizzard has 400 million monthly active users on their path to 1 billion according to the report. The company plans to do this by applying the Call of Duty framework to other franchises which includes mobile versions, free-to-play versions, and live service features. That's all for the Video Games Podcast this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, then please consider subscribing to the podcast as it helps me grow. And I've also been trying to grow my YouTube channel as well in addition to the podcast with mostly our reviews. But if you check out the description, I'll leave a link to the channel. And if you like what we're doing here, then head over there and subscribe, check out some videos, and drop some likes if you enjoyed them. Until next week, remember to be nice to your fellow gamer and more importantly, be nice to your fellow human. Thank you.